You're listening to Biz Quick. This is where Julie and Corey provide quick and useful information to small business owners. Biz Quick is the podcast where small business owners get to showcase their businesses and receive expert advice and guidance in areas many entrepreneurs struggle with. And you, the listener, get solutions, tips, and tricks on real-world topics that many small business owners face. Julie and Corey are the experts small businesses hire when they need solutions. And the BizQuick podcast is just one way they deliver those solutions. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to BizQuick. I'm Corey. And I'm Julie. And on today's show, we're going to have Amani Roberts. He is the owner, founder of the Amani Experience, a luxury uh, DJ entertainment experience. And he's out of uh, Los Angeles, California. We're going to bring him on in a minute. But first, we're going to talk about music, how it affects us, how it affects business, and just kind of how all of that can kind of be intertwined. Yeah. Will there be singing? No. No. Absolutely will, not. There will not be singing. I, 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 I don't listen to music while I work unless it's very, unless I don't have, it's a low focus task for me. I just, I can't do the distraction. But I know you do. You, yeah. music is a big part of your work day every yeah. day. Yeah. I mean, first thing in the morning, you know, when I, when I turn my computer on or, you know, get going, music's on, computer's on, coffee's going, you know, yeah, that's... So when you say first thing in the day, you mean like 10 a.m.? Well, yeah, but I've already been to the gym. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just messing with you. But yeah, my work day usually doesn't start till 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <clears throat> to be fair, it lasts longer though. Yes. Yes. You're yeah. not done at five. Um, yeah. It's interesting how music can help motivate and how it can be so in intertwined with what we do on a daily basis right i know um when i a few years back went to a a business conference it was a rachel hollis rise business conference and she literally has her own dj that like she that travels with her to the conferences and music is so much a part it's a business conference and you're just learning 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 but when she can sense that the crowd is starting to like you know grow tired or um, where people are losing their attention, like that DJ is like on it, pumping music out, getting people hyped up. And it it was actually a lot of fun. And I'd never been to a conference where they'd done that before I went to her conference. And it was, I was impressed with it. Yeah. I'd say it sounds distracting, but I've been to plenty of conferences where I'm just nodding off constantly. So I can see how that would be helpful as well. Right. Cause all of a sudden she it comes out of nowhere. She'll be like five, four, three, two, one. And everybody on one has to get up and dance to this song and you're like okay and sometimes it would happen like 10 times in a row you would literally just get sat back down and she would do it again you're like dang i could do without the dancing but (laughs) (laughs) but sure yeah i mean when when i was in in restaurants forever like the music was such a critical part of really like kind of keeping people going i mean we would have uh, certain songs that that i know or, or albums that that you know when the kitchen was starting to drag or they needed a little motivation or, you know, they're, they're getting frustrated or whatever. There were some funny songs, uh, not supposed to be funny, but there were some funny lyrics that we found in some of the reggae songs that we would listen to were like, Ooh, that's completely inappropriate. But uh, unless Play that you're back again, <laughs> unless you're, unless you're listening for it, you, like, you know, just the average person sitting out like at the table, they're not going to hear it, but Oh, we knew it was coming. Yeah, that's um, funny. Yeah. And uh, so there's that. And then another kitchen where I worked, uh, me and uh, one of the other guys, we would um, uh, we would play No Effects of the Decline. It's 18 minutes and 23 seconds. And we would put that on as soon as like we were done cooking for the night and see mm-hmm. if we could close the entire kitchen in before the song was over. So that was, you know, 
it should take longer than 18 minutes and 23 seconds to close a kitchen, but you know, maybe we cut some corners here and there. <laughs> I am quite sure of it. Um, I'm excited to ask him about um, if he, what pivots he made, right? I mean, I, we don't really know him. We don't know anything about him, but I'm guessing because he's in LA and because he's in, you know, this, you know, he was, he was in a face-to-face type of a well, I mean, industry bars restaurants yeah. clubs all of that type yeah, of stuff. Like, yeah like i wonder like what sort of pivots he had to make and how quickly he was able to make them right yeah i wonder because like it's it's been interesting the few bands that i that i follow on the regular where they have um i saw one they did uh, a live stream on saint patrick's day um which was cool but it was also weird because it was just them on a stage with no crowd and then there was another one where they um they recorded this this concert that they put on in the back but it was in somebody's backyard so i mean this is like a world world like widely known band that they just had a concert in the backyard and they had like 12 of their friends over socially distanced Oh. masked all of that fun stuff but <laughs> you know what else too i wonder would it be um if being in la probably one of the most locked down places in the country aside from new york right would his pivots have been different and less beneficial for him had he been someplace like florida or texas where they weren't really that locked down right so, so did he kind of get a benefit out of that yeah, that's a good question because it's one of those things where a lot of businesses, they're like, we've talked to some business owners where they use the pandemic as an excuse to make decisions that they wouldn't have otherwise, like letting go, you yeah. know, letting certain employees go. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're better for it. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if, if he's on the cutting edge of something because, uh, you know, he was forced to, forced to adapt versus some of these other people who, you know, just kind of weathered the storm for a bit and just went back to business as usual. Yeah, I wonder that as well. I know, I'm sure he's got a lot to talk about. He has been, um, you know, um, doing a lot of different things and, and he looks like he's he's made some interesting adjustments. And I know that he had a book that came out in recently as well. We'll have to ask him about the book and see how, how that went for him. Yeah, definitely. So let's take a quick break and then we'll bring Amani on to... Talk about DJing in the post-apocalyptic world. Great. Hey, everyone. We wanted to tell you about our latest course, Foundation 52, that is now available through our website. This course is built to provide tools and techniques every week of the year, and it's designed to improve your small business. If you're thinking about starting a business, this is a great resource for you as well. We walk you through sales, customer service, disaster planning, growth strategies, and so much more. Head on over to sbpace.com to sign up today. All right. Welcome back to the show. We've got Amani Roberts on of the Amani Experience. Welcome to the show, Amani. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you on. So you are a DJ. You've got uh, your, your um, just the luxury entertainment business there in, in Los Angeles, California. Um, and I know just from listening to the only podcast that I listen to, but California has been hit hard uh, by the pandemic, especially when it comes to things like restaurants, bars, just anything fun in general. Um, so can you talk, tell us about that and how it's kind of affected your business? Wait, what? before he tells us that, can we have him tell our listeners about the business? Sure, that might be a good idea. <laughs> okay, We could combine them all into one for sure. <laughs> 
So like you said, my name of my business is the Amani Experience. I am a DJ, I'm a, I DJ all over the world, whether it be Los Angeles, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, Brazil, all over the world, Canada. And really I focus on a couple of main events. It'd be corporate events, uh, where being corporations fly me in to DJ their events, whether it be emceeing, uh, their parties. I also do social events. It could be a wedding, birthday party there. I teach people how to DJ and I do a unique team building activity where instead of your traditional ropes courses, we combine a DJ lesson into the team building. That's my business. I also am an author. I write. I've written one book, working on the second book now, music producer. I'm a professor at Costa University Fullerton and I do a lot of work in the live streaming space now. And that's a good summary. That is a great summary. How long, just real quick before. Well, that's fine. We can, yeah. You know, we're going to let Corey ask the question again. <laughs> we can talk about Adam Carolla twice in the same podcast. <laughs> but how long have you, um, has the Amani experience existed? And how did you come up with the concept for the business? It's been in existence since April of 2008. So this is our 13th year. Wow. And I really, I used to work in uh, the corporate space, uh, work for Merritt Hotels, and I decided to change and retire and pursue DJing full-time. I had initially become interested in being a DJ when I was a senior in college. I saw DJ Bismarcky at this club and I just fell in love with what he did. I did not have the courage to pursue it at first because I did not realize that DJing could be a full-time profession and it can definitely compensate you financially very well, as well as mentally and emotionally. So it took me a while to get the courage, but finally I got the courage to kind of pursue the business full time. And we've been growing ever since. And that's kind of how it got started. All right, so let's get back to my question. Yeah, let's talk <laughs> uh, about Adam Carolla. Well, no, not Adam Carolla, but ju just following the news and, and all of that in general. I know that California has been on, on lockdown for a serious lockdown for the past 12 months or, or longer. Um, and so considering that you're based out of LA and probably a lot of your business is there in LA, uh, what have you done to, to, to pivot, to, you know, keep your business going? Right. So as of like March of 2020, like no in-person gigs. So pretty much all of my income went away. I did start to stream on Twitch. And once you start to stream on Twitch, you can eventually earn revenue on there. It will definitely not replace what I earned before but it is a good uh, base of revenue. From there, I also do virtual events. I've got through Twitch and learning, I set up a virtual studio with a green screen. I've got the gaming PC that allows me to stream very effectively at a high bit rate. So I'm doing a lot of virtual events now. In addition, I also, because of the teacher in me, I also teach people about how to stream, how to live stream and go through all that. We've had two classes now and trying to grow that also. So that has done a little bit to kind of replace the income that I've lost because of the shutdown. Things are starting to open up very slowly here now. But um, if I'm being honest, I feel that, you know, I will not get back to the level that I was at probably until 2022, 2023, just because I think it's going to be a little bit longer for things to rebound than we saw it before. Do you think that that you'll fully rebound? Because I know that uh, both Julie and I were in the corporate world uh, prior to this, the, you know, like traditional corporate world. And a lot of our old coworkers, we used to travel almost 100% of the time. And a lot of our old coworkers have said that they are probably never going to travel again, because they figured out that they can do 95% of their work remotely. So why spend the money, you know, on traveling? Do you think that you're, you're going to rebound with events and, and conferences and all that type of stuff? 
I think the business that I lose for maybe less travel, less events will be replaced by virtual events because I think that companies will still want to have hybrid events, whether it be some people in person and then a virtual component. So I plan on using the virtual studio that I have to kind of replace what I will miss out on the in-person events. And then once you add on live streaming, monetizing it on Twitch or YouTube, that revenue will also grow and allow me to kind of just grow a different segment of the business. Like on Twitch, I have shows where I interview people, very similar to you all, all interview streamers, learn from them. I have like a dating show and a newlywed show. So I'm creating content that can live outside of the traditional DJ sets, but allows me to monetize it and move forward and just kind of just add different revenue sources. So can you explain for our um, listeners what the difference is between live streaming and having a podcast that you are broadcasting live as you are recording it? So those are very similar. Live streaming is is a very similar, like if you're going to live stream your podcast, that's probably a form of live streaming. What I do is we add in the video component so you can see and interact in person. Like if we're having a show, I have the chat going, people can ask questions in the chat. I can highlight what they're doing. I can ask them. I'll bring guests on who could then interact with um, the audience and myself. And it's really, really spontaneous. So if there's a guest that shows up in the chat and they want to say something, you know, of course we have moderators that will screen them. They can also come onto the conversation as well. So it's really, I view live streaming like interactive TV. There's a couple a series on TV that kind of let you choose your own adventure. Netflix has a couple that they're doing well. That's similar. Like we have a plan for the show, but we don't know how it's going to go. And it depends on the chat, depends on the audience. It depends on what the guests say and we take it from there. So I view it as like interactive TV that can't really be edited. It's just up there. I'm, I'm going to guess prior to March of 2020, this was not something that you were really doing that much. So you probably had a, a trial by fire and had to figure out a lot of things the hard way. Uh, can you share some of those experiences? Because I know that a lot of people out there have this dream of becoming a YouTube star or, you know, having a, a world famous podcast or whatever it is. Um, so what are, what are some of the, the things you learned along the way? It is definitely a trial by fire. I'm still learning every day. Uh, a few things is that you don't need to go and buy equipment right away. Look and see what you have around the house, whether it be old iPhones that can you, you can use as a camera. You might have an old audio interface or an old switcher that you can use to kind of switch between scenes. Use old microphones. Like you don't need to go and buy things right away. Cameras was a big one. You'll notice that during the pandemic, a lot of camera companies made some firmware adjustments to then allow you to live stream with the cameras. Sony was really a popular one. Canon was another popular one. So you could have an old camera that you could record on that you can turn into a video camera. And um, that's something I learned right there. Second was really, which should be number one is just get started. Many people kind of debate and, and analyze and try to figure it out and buy everything and they never get started. And then three months pass by, six months pass by and they've kind of missed their time. Just get started. That'd be another lesson I learned. And then three is just um, YouTube is very valuable. You can learn a lot on YouTube. You can you can watch and learn from what other people and just surround yourself with some people who are kind of learning with you so you can learn together. You can share notes. You can test, do those things and just be open to the feedback because that'll help you improve quicker and just keep going. Many people start. They don't have a big audience in the beginning and they get discouraged and then they stop because they don't they're used to maybe, you know, if they're a DJ, they're used to playing in front of crowds of five, 10, 15,000 people. They're live streaming, and only five or 10 people are in their stream where they're like, this is not what I'm used to. 
I'm going to stop. Well, no, don't stop. Just kind of build your community and grow from there. And the final one, I mean, there's a lot of lessons, but the final one that I'll mention is just the value of merchandise. I completely underestimated merchandise as a revenue stream. Once you start a stream, you create a brand and you're growing and you name your crew that kind of follows you in the stream or you have certain things you can sell. Merch can be very valuable. You can have mugs, shirts, hoodies, different bumper stickers, stickers, just different things you can sell that people love to support. Um, as you, you may know, like many artists nowadays, especially the last year or two, the biggest amount of earnings they've had is from merchandise. And that's just because people just shop and they want to support. So those would be the top four learnings I would um, contribute. Those are great learnings. And um, I don't know the difference, the, the time gap between like when you graduated college or your senior year of college and you wanted to be a DJ, but you didn't have the courage to start. And when you left Marriott and thought, I'm just going to do it, right? I don't, I don't know what that, how much time elapsed there. But when you think about how hesitant you were as a senior in college to do the thing that you really wanted to do and how quickly you pulled the trigger on doing some things that were so foreign and out of your your um, comfort zone to keep moving forward and pivot your business to bring that income in. It's kind of, um, it, it it's almost like funny to look at it and not haha funny, right? There's a lot of irony there and a lot of lessons where over time you're just like, Dude, my life right now depends on me being able to make money. And the only way I can do it is by trying something new. So I love how quickly you were able to come up with things. And there's a lot of really valuable lessons in there. And for the record, um, important to nobody but me, but um, start is my very favorite verb. So I love that you were like, just start is one of your lessons. It's, yeah, that's great. exactly. Indeed. It took me 11 years to make the switch from corporate America to DJing took me like less than a month to say, okay, I got to make money now the pandemic, we're going to start live streaming. So that's sped up the timeline. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Now, what, um, do you also, do you also do a podcast? Yes. Yes. I do a podcast, the Amani Experience podcast. I used to do episodes every week. Now I'm like once or twice a month, but what I'm doing is from uh, the live stream, I've interviewed a lot of DJs and creators that have been able to establish themselves on Twitch. So I'm going to convert those episodes over to a special series on the podcast and continue. So I can still manage about two or three uh, episodes a month. And I mean, I think I just went over like 170 episodes, I think. So I've been podcasting for a good four years. This time, this is the second run through. I had another podcast starting that I started in 2008 too. Okay. Do you have classes for people to take on how to become a DJ? Yes, I have classes uh, in person and virtual. And, you know, it, you can be all over the world just on Zoom. We'll work through it. There's, um, it takes a little bit longer because there's certain elements of DJing that you need to kind of the tactile touching it. But um, yeah, online classes and we'll teach you. We'll teach you all the fundamentals and get you up and running. Do you teach the all important mouth sound effects? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't make that with your mouth. I teach you a little bit of the scratches and everything. Yeah. We get through the basic scratches. Yes, yes. If you want to do the really complex ones, I have someone I can refer you to because you know, okay. yeah. in my wheelhouse. But yeah, we teach you the basics for sure. Okay. Well, and it's it's one of those things. So I have a background in restaurants, and uh, it's it the word chef has just become synonymous with anybody who works in the kitchen, which I hate because just because you're a line cook, you know, just because you, you've spent the past 10 years, whatever, working a fryer, that doesn't make you a chef, but they're like, oh, let's go talk to the chefs. No, that's just a line cook. And I feel like a lot of people today are 
they call themselves DJs. They call themselves, we've complained about this. They, they call themselves consultants. Yes. <laughs> or coaches. Yeah. Yeah, Everybody's exactly. a coach. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what do you do that really differentiates yourself that, you know, like, cause I, I'm not really familiar with like DJs in general. So right. you could literally say anything right now. And I believe you but. <laughs> <laughs> to distinguish as a DJ, uh, the skill sets, you know, definitely the scratching, what you asked about, which is important scratching, whether it be, you know, baby scratch, transformers, one click, two click flares, all these different scratches that you can do. Um, I can do those uh, live blends where you put an instrumental over a acapella and be able to perfectly beat match that really just the art of, Beat matching, you know, putting a song over a song, being able to beat match and take people on a journey from, you know, mid-tempo to up-tempo back to mid-tempo, be able to select songs. Like that's all that a DJ can do. And maybe people don't have that skill and to put it all together and be able to go from genre to genre, like I can play hip hop, rock, pop, go-go, salsa, freestyle, go through all these genres of music and play and seamlessly mix. That's very difficult for the person who might call themselves a DJ, but true DJs are like genre benders. They can go and and pivot and move and shift and also do some tricks, beat juggling, things like that, which I could do. That really kind of helps set me apart. Plus engaging with the crowd, making sure that the crowd is engaged. When you do it the virtually, you have to pay attention to the chat. That's your virtual dance floor. And then you add in all the graphics, the, the production capabilities that are needed. It's a lot going on, but that's part of what kind of helps me establish myself as a true DJ, the art form and go from there. Great. Um, so how do you take that and apply it to business? Like what can, what can businesses learn from, from you as a DJ or from DJs in general? So in my book, we have a couple of chapters where we talk about ways where the DJing life is very similar to business. The favorite one, which we've all been through now is like troubleshooting. That's like 11 PM at nighttime. If you take a DJ set from 10 PM to 2 AM, you know, you first start off at 10 o'clock PM. You're trying to get to know who's in the club, make sure that you can keep them there, keep them in the bar. Same thing in business. You're trying to find your ideal client, your avatar, same exact concept. You then fast forward to 11 o'clock. Something always goes wrong in the DJ booth, whether it be a speaker going out, computer crashing, but the music can never stop. So you have to have some creative ways to keep the music going. Same thing in business. A pandemic happens. You can't just shut down your business. How are you going to shift and adjust, but still keep revenue coming in? That's troubleshooting chapter. You have to be really creative. We fast forward to midnight. That's prime time. So if you're fortunate enough to have a business that is bringing in revenue month over month, how do you keep that going? The dance floor, how do you keep the dance floor packed? People singing long song after song after song. That takes a skill. Um, reading a room is, is not an exact science. You have to have a high level of uh, emotional intelligence. And, and that's important. One of my favorite two chapters, we talked about it earlier, is risk-taking. In business, you have to take risks because you you know no risk, no reward. Same thing that dance for. Do I play this song after this song? It might not be popular, but I think it's going to be popular in two months. So I want to expose the audience to that song. Do you do it or not? Yes. Play it. See what happens. Go for that. Business, do I want to try a new product? Do I want to try to expand offerings? Maybe. Yes, no. Try it out. See what happens and adjust. Um, that's the risk-taking chapter. Finally, I love nostalgia. Um, always at the end of my DJ sets, I'll play slow jams, kind of bring people back to when they were in high school or college memories. The same businesses do the same thing. You look at like an Old Spice and Adidas and Nintendo, they use some of their older brands, older commercials to lure people in from older generations and younger generations. They use nostalgia also. And that's something that's really effective that I love to do. Um, and then finally, feedback. It's really important to get feedback on your product and business. People do surveys, they have focus groups. 
what I did was a little unique in the DJ world is I also used to drive for Uber. So after I'd finished in the club, I just turn on my little meter, pick up some people who normally would be at the club that I just DJed at. I take them home, say, what'd you think of the club? Did you like the music? Did you not? And then right when I was about to drop them off, I'd be like, by the way, I was the DJ there today. So thank you for the feedback. And so that's just some cool ways where it's really interrelated. That's a nice way to get reviews because reviews are so hard to get. Yeah, that's actually pretty clever. Um, you've, you um, certainly have, um, you're clearly a very creative person because almost everything that you've done since you know the pandemic hit has been something that is really non-traditional and you found a lot of ways to leverage the things that you're passionate about and keep moving forward and, and introduce some new concepts, which is great. When did you write your book? So I wrote it starting in, I wanna say it was like 2018, August, and I finished it up late 2019. And then it was released April 12th, 2020. And releasing a book in the middle of the pandemic yet again, it's not ideal. I had a whole world tour you know, set up between the US, some people in UK, I was working on some gigs in Australia and that all had to kind of go by the wayside. But in the true form of uh, adjusting on the fly, I did a virtual book launch. We did that. I do a lot of interviews to, to um, talk about the book, book readings. And we're definitely going to pick up with the tour, hopefully in like 2022, we'll see things open up. So that's when I wrote the book. Um, and now I'm working on the second one, but that was a great experience. It just helps to make me a thought leader in the creative space because you won't find many DJs that write a book and it just continues to kind of allow me to elevate my profile. Great. Um, we're going to have to start wrapping it up here in a second, but can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Oh, Amani Experience on all social media, also on Twitch. You can just search for Amani Experience. I'm there and my website is amaniexperience.com. And we talked about it earlier. The podcast is the Amani Experience Podcast. That makes it easy. <laughs> really done. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again for uh, being on the podcast. And thanks to all of our listeners. All of that information and the different ways that you can reach out to Amani will be in our show notes. You can connect with us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can check out our Project 365 every single day. You can also reach us on sbpace.com. And you can subscribe to our pod, like us, and give us a review, please, because we love feedback. So let us know what you like, what you don't like, and what we can do better. We really do love feedback. Reach out about topics, too, if there's something you're really interested in hearing that we haven't covered in the 60-plus episodes that we've released so far. Please let us know. We are happy to oblige. Oh, hey, we wrote a book. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon, and it comes with a companion workbook. The book is called Seriously? Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. And if you've already bought that book, you should head back to Amazon and give us a review. Yes, and you got the title correct on the first try. Yay, me! <laughs> All right, that's it for the show. I'm Corey. And I'm Julie. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America.